want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, play hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined as ever by Sean Coletti. Sean, how's it going? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> full week? Yeah, really full week, yeah, on on every level. So it's it's been busy. It's been yeah, well I I've been out of town. I've been at my brother's wedding and it's been a lot of fun, but I have yet to watch a single episode of Orange is the New Black and I everybody keeps asking me about it on Twitter and I wish I'd seen it, but I've not I've not caught on with it yet. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? I have not seen a single episode, so we are in the same pathetic boat. <laughs> Hopefully by next week I will be able to uh, you know, report my, my findings, as it were, but uh, but no, not yet. And we do have, for those who are curious, over at Sound On Sight, we do have a full season reviews, like the first half of the season and then the second half of the season, and we have another writer who will be doing... Uh, reviews of two episodes each week so if you're a binge watcher there's something up for there for you to read and if you're going at a more reasonable pace which i mean that just sounds crazy you're taking care of as well um let's see what else of course at the end of the podcast we'll be talking with Depayans and gupta from sound Insight about the good family the animated series from mike judge from a, a while back that that was that was interesting yes and i guess the name is somewhat ironic we will talk about that later in the podcast. It was a DVD shelf first, which is always fun, right? Yes, it was, <laughs> at the very least, rather interesting. Even if you haven't seen a single episode, we kind of get into some of the, the specifics about TV. Yeah, it's fun. It, it's fun. So, again, that'll be coming at the end of the podcast, but we also spoke with you guys about uh, several different shows and things this week. Of course, C- Cartoon June is in full swing. How How's that going, Sean? Great. I finished my rewatch of Samurai Jack and Star Wars Clone Wars, and I'm in the middle of Avatar right now. And? Loving it. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to hold off like a, a definitive comment until I finish it, because there's people who rate it incredibly highly, but I, I'm definitely enjoying myself right now. Well, we did get some recommendations for you. Alicia says that you should watch, among others, uh, Death Note and Darker Than Black. And Amanda says Attack on Titan and uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Did you get any other recommendations on Twitter? Oh, God, yeah. And those are actually going to be moved into what I'll have to do uh, anime August because Noel and a few other people had a bunch of recommendations in terms of anime. So these will be two separate months. <laughs> Car- Carl also uh, recommended uh, Dr. Katz, professional therapist. Uh, he says, my favorite animated series, no question, is Dr. Katz. I love the Ben and Laura and Ben and Dad relationships. I never thought Ben would go on to open a burger joint or be a spy slash drug dealer. And I have seen some of Dr. Katz, but not, not a lot of it. Have you seen any Dr. Katz? Nope, but it's on the list. Fair enough. Uh, Carl also uh, corrected us because, of course, last week we were talking about remakes from other shows, and we had thought that uh, what he was saying was that Metastasis was a, uh, sp- a Spanish version of Broadchurch. Apparently, that's the Spanish version of Breaking Bad. Televerse regrets the error. 
slightly different there. Um, and he also says that this orphan black, this week's orphan black, kind of ruined the magic for him. Uh, he says it's the first time it didn't work. It was daring, but kind of, I kind of wish they hadn't done it. We'll talk about Orphan Black a little later on, but uh, yeah, dramatic episode this week. Yeah, yeah, that will be a good discussion. So stay tuned. <laughs> um, Bob and James both chimed in a little bit. So you think you can dance? They're both. I'm looking forward to us talking about it a little bit here. Um, Brian also says uh, he just finished season one of In the Flesh. Zombies used as they were intended. So we're, we're both glad that you're enjoying uh, In the Flesh, Brian. And he also says the final line of season two of Orange is the New Black is clearly a nod to Hannibal. I look forward to watching it even more now. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see what else. Uh, Jamie, we heard from Jamie who enjoyed the Hannibal finale podcast. Thank you for listening, Jamie. We will be getting to season one of Hannibal coming up here soon here. Um, those will be going out in the Televerse feed. Are, I, I've been Jones in. Actually, the, I got my first uh, pangs a, a few days ago where I was like, you know what? It's actually starting to settle in that Hannibal's absence is clear. Yeah, it's time. It's time to, to start up season one, so you guys can stay tuned for that. Let's see. Mario says uh, he's catching up with Game of Thrones and watching In the Flesh, and he was very glad that Kieran spoke out during that fabulous dinner sequence last week. And um, we also talked a little, little bit of Veep with Renee. Of course, we had the Veep season finale this week, and my review for that is over at the AB Club. That was uh, a lot of fun. And again, another. this was a week for eventful episodes. It really was, and that's kind of surprising given that it's a relatively slow part of the summer before all the premieres kick in. Yep. Over at Sound of Sight, our guest, of course, Depayan, also reviews Veep, so you can read his, his thoughts on it there. And it's also Monster Month at Sound of Sight, so there's been some great articles going up. There's an article about Moriarty on Sherlock. There's been uh, articles, I want to say, about some of the use of zombies on TV. There's been a lot of really great TV articles tying in with the theme, as well as, of course, film and, and other areas. So you guys can check all of that out at soundofsight.org. But we should get into our week in TV because, of course, we're going to have comedy and reality. We're going to have genre and drama. But we're also going to have our network checkup. What, which network are we doing this week, Sean? We are doing Fox. So uh, that will be coming later in the show. So let's let's get right to it. What do you say? I'm on it. Okay. We'll be right back after this. This week in reality and comedy, we're going to talk a little So You Think You Can Dance, and then we're going to go over to the comedies, which include the finale of the season of Inside Amy Schumer, the Veep two-part finale, um, Enlisted, the general inspection, and then a two-part Louis sort of event in, in the woods. Uh, it is a it is a diverse batch this week. Uh, especially in the comedies, but let's let's kick things off with reality. And you watched, so you think you can dance. So what did you, what did you think? Did you watch just this one, or did you watch last week too? I watched both, so I have seen three hours worth of content. And you seem like you're disappointed in that. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Um, I'm definitely somebody who can be a sucker for competition series, but the fact that I know zero things about dance makes it a little bit more difficult to get into this. So there are some things that I appreciated, like, aesthetically, 
but uh, th this might take a while, whereas something like The Voice, like, I'm immediately on board. Okay. Interesting. Well, what what, do you, what, what were you noting? First time watching the show. And, of mm -hmm. course, the show has a very different feel once you get into the actual live competition portion. Um, of course. What struck you about the auditions? Uh, there seemed to be a predisposition on the judges' parts to contemporary, which was interesting. That might have just been the ones that they chose to highlight, and that probably is the case, which is fine. Um, the, the puppeteer, he, I thought, was fantastic. That was, like, very interesting. And the, the judges' panel is good. So, like, it's the same thing with the other competition shows that I've seen. You get the recurring judges who are strong and intelligible, and then most of the guest ones are kind of just there and have, like, one thing to say that's not necessarily insightful. But that's fine. If you have people like Wayne Brady and Jenna Elfman, then that's, that's good enough for me. And Christina Applegate is awesome as a guest judge. Uh and that's because, for me at least. No, she was she was like emotionally into it, which was definitely good. And then the actual yeah. professional guy, he he had better things to better say. Better things to say, yeah. And Christina Applegate has history doing, um, being on Broadway, doing very dance heavy, intense shows. So she knows what she's talking about in a way that, uh, though Jenna Elfman has experience as a as a dancer and a very talented one. Uh, she doesn't tend to translate that into useful, critical commentary on the show. And she tends to just go more, again, like you were saying with Christine Applegate, more emotional with it. Um, and just she tends to be the cheerleader when she's on, as as does Wayne Brady, and, whereas Applegate tends to be more critical and actually reference specific things, which she didn't do this week as much, uh, maybe because it's auditions. But, um, but I really appreciate when they actually start talking about some of the specifics because I don't know anything about <laughs> dance. So I like when they say this thing you did was really good. And then they can show me the thing and I can go, Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, but I do think you're right. It follows this very similar format to a lot of other shows. You like the, the puppeter puppeteer or whatever the puppetry thing. I thought that was really cool. I really liked the, um, the moments they had with, 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 uh, Mary Poppins and fiction. And of course I have a connection with fiction having enjoyed his, his uh, journey last season and really getting to know him from that. Um, and then also the, the, the dance battle was, was so cool with like, <laughs> and again, the lead up of, I live in Kansas. I, I have to spend all my time working and there isn't a dance community where I live. So I just dance by myself in my room, but I'm awesome. It was really cool. <laughs> So there, there were several moments like that that I very much identified with and um, or I, I very much enjoyed. And like you said, that emotional moment from uh, Christina Applegate talking about I just and I love the. That just that the subtitled bit that we got from her, because that felt very again, that's not something she was saying to be on the show. That was just her reaction and um, talking about. You know, when, when you when you look into the numbers of eating disorders among teenagers, it's skewed in a huge way t towards women or, or girls. Girls develop eating disorders at a much, much higher rate than boys do. And and so her comment about it's it sucks being a girl, it's really hard, was, I thought, very touching. And I, I really appreciated the way that, that she analyzed the dance a bit more than the other two judges. So 
I'm a big fan of hers. <laughs> and so any of the other, like, what about what about our our popper from from uh, the Czech Republic? She was great. Wait, am I getting that right? Which one was that? Redhead. Yes. Yeah. There was one that they that all the judges seemed to agree like was the early favorite for the entire show, which was the, the blonde. The, yeah, who came out to to Man's World and did that. I thought that she was very strong. I don't know if she was like the clear favorite to me of that audition. So Yeah. I think that tells me tells us that there must be a in person like an energy element to it that she's really putting across powerfully in person, but that just isn't translating to across TV. And we'll see if if uh if she can capture if, if the t- if the the people working the camera can capture that or she can start gearing more towards the audience that's out you know on the other end of their of their sets as opposed to in the room because that is who's gonna save her and keep her on the show um but yeah every now and again that happens where where and there were a couple moments in, in her dance that i thought were really technically very good but yeah every now and again that happens where the judges just ra- rave over some sequence or some person and i'm sitting at home going i don't don't get it. I feel dumb. What am I missing? Mm-hmm. So I don't think you're alone in that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so are you going to keep watching? So you think you can dance? Yeah. If you're gonna keep talking about it, then I might as well. So. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm very excited. I like being able to talk about it. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the comedies. We had a couple finales this week. Um, first, we had Inside Amy Schumer slut shaming, and uh, I know I've been a bigger fan of the season than you have in general, but uh, how did this finale come together for you, and do you have any other thoughts on the season as a whole? Uh, more strong skits in this episode, I thought, which is good to have it in that finale. Um, it's really hard to kind of think about a sketch comedy series as a unit, so I can't really say, like, this was a good finale for Inside Amy Schumer, but it was one of the strongest episodes of the season, I thought. Um, the The game show bits, like... How over are your ex? Are you that one? I thought was hilarious. Um, <laughs> although, <getting> cake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh. and that the fact that nobody wins and that the the host was also just there to get his ex back. Um, so yeah, the very funny laugh out loud moments, which hadn't been the case so much with a couple of the past few episodes. I really appreciated uh, the Gab and Janelle. I thought that was that was really pointed and uh, still funny and it worked really nice. I, I've appreciated Jim Norton popping up uh, both here and then also on Louis this season. So when he's uh, giving the Q and A, like he, when he's one of the journalists talking to uh, uh, Amy's uh, politician or whatever, I thought I particularly enjoyed his like all the different one liners he was he was coming up with there. The um the woman who's come on now twice to do the music routine at the end, like she's fun and energetic, and I guess that's like the closest that it comes to being a departure and the cap for the season. But I don't necessarily know if I enjoy that more than another like Amy goes deep would have worked. Oh yeah, I don't enjoy that part. I didn't enjoy it the first season. I didn't enjoy it here, and that's it's nothing on on that performer. It's just that's not funny to me. Yeah, and it's also not really the show. Yeah, and and that's fine. And this is, you know, uh, Amy Schumer has this platform to use as she sees fit, and that is a she, that is a performer she really um, ap- appreciates and respects and wants to to champion. So, you know, more power to her. Um, I know a lot of people think really enjoy that. 
it's just not really my speed, but, um, but the rest of the episode around it, I thought was fun. And, and again, it, that's the closest thing we get to like a, this is the finale moment. So, you know, I, I enjoy the symmetry of that, if nothing else. Yeah. And Amy never had sex again. And Amy never had sex again. Hmm. Well, Amy Schumer, Inside Amy Schumer did get picked up uh, for next season, so we'll be able to talk more about it then. I'm glad it's gotten picked up. Uh, Comedy Central really has done a wonderful job in these past few years of building a very solid block of, of comedy programming, actually really all year round. So I look forward to the next show that's coming up. That wh- What's the next uh, Comedy Central show coming back? Because I feel like there's another one and, and before, yeah, obviously, Key and Peele in the fall again. Before that, I'm not sure. So Because we've gotten a couple of summer ones already. But I'd have to look that up. And if nothing else, I can always catch up on Nathan for you, which I'm woefully behind on. Um, let's talk about the Veep finale, Crate and New Hampshire. My review of these two episodes is up at uh, the AV Club. And I very much enjoyed them. I I still think Debate was better from last week. That, I, that one just had me laughing out loud constantly. These I very much enjoyed, and I appreciated the more dramatic kind of turn things take for many of the characters once uh, Selena Meyer becomes president. Who saw that coming? <laughs> Probably not too many people. What did you think? I, I agree that last week's debate was probably significantly more funny overall. These were they weren't inconsistent they they were definitely solid episodes the the scene between Julie Louis Dreyfus and uh Tony Hale in the bathroom was among the best ones of this entire series i thought so if nothing else like that had me going yeah and also um <laughs> Jonah's interactions with his mother are exactly what you would want from that kind of context the portrait of Jonah of like yes. a teenage Jonah was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to enjoy there, and um, even just he's in plaid. And then when when he's gotten his mom to call his uncle, he's back to his like DC attire. I enjoyed that as well. Yeah, the, that bathroom scene that you mentioned was definitely the highlight of of Crate. And then in uh, in New Hampshire, you know, there was I I, I really appreciated how much Julia Louis Dreyfus commits to the character in these two episodes. She is horrible in, oh, yeah. in in these she's she is ugly and cruel and she does not the, the the actress does not back down from that no calling everybody losers and just doesn't really have any friends there on some level so um yeah she's a fantastic performer and this is probably the best vehicle that she's ever, ever had, had i want it so much. yeah like it it's obviously really close because of the stuff that she's done in the past but like this, this is probably the one that she was made for. So this is a perfect marriage of content and character. Other standouts this week. I mean, I feel like Reed Scott got a great uh, progression. He, he he got a spotlight last week that that he had a lot of fun with. There wasn't much Dan this week, but I, I did like that Amy was more reserved and competent this week. I was kind of waiting for her to collapse, much like Dan did. I didn't expect her to actually step up to the challenge and succeed and do a good job as the campaign manager. And, and her candidate is in third place, so maybe she's not doing a good job. But uh, but I appreciated that. Um, I, I really like what we got with Kevin Dunn as Ben. And um, I, don't know, do, if, I don't know if I want Kent and Sue to get back together or keep fighting. I 
I kind of really like them together, and he's actually been given a lot more to do. Their little argument about his office space was another little highlight for me. So it's hard to like have a romantic pairing in a show like this, but of the ones that are possible, that one kind of works just on the comedic level. And just the way that they keep it so underneath everything else that's going on. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a lot of fun. To, and then again, over the course of the season, the way they've progressed it and the way they've progressed everybody else watching it has also been a lot of fun. So it's been an incredibly strong season of Veep. Uh, I would say they're the most consistent and their strongest yet. Um, and though these two episodes are not, I would say, the best of the season, they are still solid. And I, I'm really looking forward to what they do next season. Do you think they're going to change the name of the show? Uh, I don't imagine that they would. So I also, I also don't know, like considering that um, in the thick of it didn't run that long, like how much story Inuchi has planned for this show. Mm-hmm. So I'd also wonder about that. If it's going to have like a, a natural and like pre-designed point of conclusion. And if that's going to be in like the next couple years or if hbo is going to try and get as much out of this as they can well i think a lot will come down to because either she's going to win the presidency or she's going to lose the presidency she's not going to go from being the president back to being the vice president that's just not going to happen mm-hmm. um, so either they change the name of the show to potus or something or or the show ends as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's that's those are the logical entries or pathways to me. So I look forward to what they do, uh, finding out what they do next. And um, let's, yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss having Beep to talk about each week. Fortunately, we will still have a few more weeks of Enlisted. This week we had the General Inspection. General Inspection. And uh, I, I enjoyed quite a bit of this, though. It, again, it wasn't, for me, one of their funniest episodes. How did this, how did this work for you? And... Uh, do you want a cup of that uh, bisque with a little bit of nutmeg as much as I do? <laughs> yes, I absolutely do. Uh, this one probably works better for me than last week. So like now that we have enlisted back, it feels like I'm more immersed in that world again. And so that's that's nice that there's still three more weeks going. Three more weeks? Two more after this. Two more weeks going forward. So um, I'm looking forward to that. The scene, Pete's just step up into this role and play off people like Derek, or even just like the the exchange between him and and Gumble where they're trying to clean the floor so that Pete can eat off of it and he's like, you know, this I still, still tastes, tastes like floor. <laughs> and then and then Gumble says, What what is this lesson here? Or what is the lesson here? You know, like it's just throwaway moments like that that really work for me. And um I I don't know if I'm in the minority here, but I think that for me Derek and Chris Lowe like is the most important part of my enjoyment of the show. I think that they've done a really good job with using his character in different ways so that you might think he's some archetype, but then like he's this guy who also really appreciates his suit. So that's like the one enjoyment that he gets out of life every, you know, week or whatever. And the way that they treat and and embrace and then subvert cliches with the especially the female characters i very much appreciate um they let them be feminine without defining them by that and that's something that i I, yeah 
it would be easy to, for a show to go one of two ways to go to an extreme and instead each of the the characters feel like for example Sergeant Perez is a badass ninja who sneaks into the break room cuz she's cuz she wants to stress eat a bunch of chocolate you know mm-hmm. i i appreciate the way that that both embraces and subverts clichés about female characters and what they do when they are stu- super stressed out uh so yeah, there, I think those little throwaway moments or the the smaller character moments, like you said, are, are what really makes the show come together. And I'm with you on the on the Crystal love because a lot of people point to either uh, Randy or Pete as the most entertaining of the brothers. And for me, the way that Derek kind of binds them and sort of fills out the dynamic between the three is very important. And uh, yeah, I, I I look forward to the, our last two episodes tier of Enlisted. Hopefully not forever. Um, yeah, after after Perez eats all that candy and then is on her sugar high and is doing that Randy candy dance, and then like Randy starts to do it with her because he doesn't know any better, that was perfect. Yeah. And perhaps the best line of the entire episode was, good lord, how many knobs must I polish? <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Okay, let's move on to Louie in the woods, part one and part two. This... This belongs in drama, but we're going to keep to tradition and put it in comedy. Uh, it's really not fair for the other comedies. What did you think about these episodes and how they relate to everything else that's been going on this season? I'd like to know because when we talked about Elevator Part 4, you were a little bit less keen on the flashback in that episode, um, which wasn't the whole episode, but was kind of extended and was unusual for Louis up until that point. And so this week we get what is pretty much two long episodes of Louie or longer than usual that are almost entirely devoted to flashback because I thought probably having the, the present day stuff with Lily as structure there, like I didn't even need that. If this was just all flashback and the in the wood story was just kind of Louie's adolescence, that would have been just as fine. It may be even better for me. Yeah, it, I thought it was wonderful. I really liked this episode. And we have, you know, seeing the mother character reminded me that we have seen flashbacks before because there, there's an episode where they talk about church. And I remember flashing back to the mother for that. Um, and so I, I was glad to see that actress back. I was glad to spend the time with a teenage Louie. And I absolutely agree. I didn't need all of the cutting back to the, the present day. However... Without that, you don't get that lovely moment at the end where Louis is reflecting on his experiences as a teen, and that's helping him be as good a parent as he can to his daughter, and helping him, you know, as was wonderful and as great a mother as he had, helping him be a better parent in that moment than his mother was for him. That without the rest of that framing device, you wouldn't get that beat at the end. So I guess maybe they, I didn't need them to check in as frequently, but I guess I would keep that still. And maybe even that one, even seeing Lily hug her dad wasn't something that I entirely needed after such a beautiful, complex, and really like complete arc all in the flashback scenes. So everybody that he gets to interact with from his teacher to the principal to Jeremy Renner's drug dealer character to his family to his friends including the bully who man, 
the the whole bully infrastructure in that world where like he has like kids glasses out on like loan or rent and also is willing to like deal out a full like ass kicking over weeks like there were so many hilarious and clever touches to all of that yeah yeah and i didn't have to deal with bullying when i was in school um but middle school is the worst (laughs) middle school just is the worst People talk a lot about high school being terrible or stressful or or it was hell in, in TV shows. And I, maybe it's just the school I went to. There were It was a big enough school that everybody could just find their own set of friends and everybody kind of just left everybody alone. Whereas middle school, everybody did that first thing, but they didn't do that second thing. And mm-hmm. middle, school, middle school is terrible because people haven't learned to just leave everybody else alone because everybody else is dealing with their own shit. Um, so I appreciated very much the setting of, of, of this at that age, at age 12 or 13, as opposed to 15. And it is a substantial difference. And when we get to the end, and Louis talking about, um, how he doesn't have, he doesn't, he doesn't care about, he's not upset about his parents' divorce and the, the therapist or whatever just says, well, yeah, good. The drugs are working. Um, that was really effective. And I, I appreciate the way that, that they don't explore this in season one. They don't explore this in season two. But here in season, what is this, four of Louis, his kids are acting out about the divorce. They feel secure enough to be able to act out about the divorce, both Lily and Jane now. And uh, I, I love that after three seasons of presenting this as a completely stable, normal, happy family that there can be issues that have been long simmering coming to a head in season four and being explored in such a thoughtful way. Yeah. And uh, I guess the only drawback to this one for me would be that uh, Ursula Parker has had like a couple fantastic monologues or interactions with on-screen Louis Mm -hmm. uh, this season as Jane. And like, this felt like probably the Lily episode. And yet she didn't really get to do much, which is a shame. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, the other element of performance I would call out is that I love there are a few bits of performance that we get from the mother character that are straight up Louis C.K. And I appreciate that you can see very much where Louis got his elements of his personality Uh and even just like certain word choices or or, or facial or, or gesture kind of ticks, I, I appreciated that that attention to detail. Agreed. So, who's back to winning the Louis Award? What what's your <laughs> what's your best? Uh, uh, what wins this week in in comedy? <laughs> I guess uh, Louis wins the the Televerse Award for me this week. So yeah, Louis uh, is best. Obviously, of the shows in this category, it goes to Louis. Of the mm-hmm. shows that were actually comedies this week, it goes to Veep for that bathroom scene. But uh, but no, definitely this was a, another fantastic episode or two-parter, whatever, for, from from Louis. And I'm looking forward to our final two. I'm also not looking forward to them next week because I'm going to miss having the show on. Yeah, I mean, in this format where they're doing back-to-back episodes, uh, it's actually worked really well in some ways in terms of having more content there, but uh, that just means that we'll be over with it sooner, which is a shame. 
Yep. Well, now we'll take a break and come back with our new recurring segment, Sean's Network Report Card. Next up is Sean's Network Report Card, and this week we're talking Fox, and uh, there's it's it's a it's a bittersweet discussion. We're both big fans of Enlisted, as we've been talking about. But uh, before we get to the new shows from this past season, let's just kind of touch on Fox's returning series. How is Fox doing for you right now? Um, factoring in the returning series makes it a little bit trickier. If we were just doing the freshmen, I would say, like, clearing away, Fox was the winner for me this year. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, returning stuff, I think... I'm going to like put my foot down and be stubborn and like finally give up on the Mindy project. I think I'm at that point because it just wasn't good enough. Um, New Girl, I loved. It wasn't nearly as good as season two, but that's still something that I laugh at constantly, which is enough, I think. Um, and then I think, let's see, the dramas. <laughs> I not only did I watch every episode of the following, I reviewed every episode of the following. Oh man, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> see, but, see that, now I feel better about our consistent mockery of the following on the Handle podcast, knowing that you had to watch and review it all. Yeah, uh, that, that tested my sanity a few times, and uh, I I won't make the mistake again, thinking that oh, it might be fun to kind of make fun of the following for 15 weeks in review form, because it was not. <laughs> Fair enough. Or now, do you so that those are the only ones you watch? No bones, no uh, glee. Yeah, I'm not, not caught up on either of those. Fair enough. For me, I mean, Bones is a show that I used to watch regularly on demand or uh, in in marathons or you know kind of catch up with it. I used to keep current with the show. I had to uh, break up with it last year because it just for for me it was just terrible when when they got to the point where. Bones was uh, being targeted by by basically a magical like bad guy who would know if if Booth said anything to her about anything, and so he had to break up with her and leave her at the wedding. It was just the stupidest thing. I just I couldn't do it anymore. As much as I enjoy have enjoyed that show in the past, and do really like the cast. Um, as for the rest of the shows, I'm kind of with you on on Mindy Project and New Girl, except that uh, I'm, I will see how I feel about it when we get to the fall. Right now, it's easy to say I'm washing my hands of them, but I'm, I have a feeling that I'll, that I'll, you know, I'll, maybe they've changed. I'll go back to them <laughs> in the fall. Um, I love So You Think You Dance, as anybody who's been listening knows, and of course, Bob's Burgers, we're big fans of. Oh, I totally well. forgot Bob's Burgers, yeah. So that's, again, like New Girl, not as good as it was last season, but still good enough for me to keep going with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go over then to the to the new shows. So what did you think of of this mid-season and then also the fall season for Fox? All right, so I'm not going to be counting 24 for this, because to me that's either a returning show or it's like a mini-series. So uh, I'll be counting the other eight new series that Fox has premiered. 
which are uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, gang-related, Sleepy Hollow, Almost Human, Dads, Enlisted, Rake, and Surviving Jack. Of those eight, five of those shows have already been canceled, and those are Almost Human, Dads, Enlisted, Rake, and Surviving Jack. And of those five, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed four of them, and it's pretty easy to guess, which is the one that wasn't enjoyable. Um, but uh, the, the one that I would really like to point to which was kind of surprising. I think of everything on the new network stuff this year, Rake is like the most underrated. Not that it was like really great or anything, because it wasn't, but totally enjoyable if you just kind of tune in and turn off and just have fun with Greg Kinnear and the rest of the cast and a really, really, really strong guest cast as well. They got some great people on there like Michelle Forbes and a lot of really good character actors um, that many people will know from other shows. So though that along with enlisted um, surviving Jack, of course, and almost human, which wasn't great, but at least like the chemistry between its two leads created some good banter. I might have watched more episodes of that. So those four still gets a relative thumbs up for me with enlisted definitely getting a big thumbs up. Okay. And what about the uh, returning shows, the shows that are coming back for season two? Uh, Gang-related has not been decided on yet. Um, if you ask me right now, at the time of the recording, I've only seen the two episodes that have aired, and it's okay. Um, the only way that I would give it a passing grade and come back to it is if it aired at this time next year, just because there's not really a whole lot going on uh, at that time on TV. So right now it's kind of teetering on the, the passing-failing mark, so I'll probably okay. have to withhold judgment that the other two though absolutely get passing grades um and really like probably my single favorite comedy and my single favorite drama from the whole season and those were sleepy hollow and Brooklyn nine nine yeah i enjoyed both of them i had a lot of fun with sleepy hollow last this past season there's a lot that, that show is doing the decision the decisions that the show is making with its priorities and with its storytelling are ones that on the whole i I'm a, I support and I am, I am happy to proselytize for the, the platonic leads, the, the action, the churning through plot, the, the balance of humor with, with pathos, the, the building up of the sister relationship. I mean, there's a lot there that I very much appreciate and I look forward to seeing what happens next season. I don't know if they'll be able to maintain it. It is very much a show that, it can be easy to to mistake a really good character in Ichabod Crane and that performance as well with a good show. And it, most of the time, because I do think Nicole Bahari is, is excellent um, as the other lead, and there are many pieces there that are very promising. I don't know that it's come together in the best way it, it is capable of. I think I think it's capable of more, and I look forward to seeing them build towards the strengths of, of their cast as they now are more aware of what works and what doesn't. Um, for example, I would look forward to us, uh, if, if we don't see chiseled ex cop boyfriend person again, I would be totally cool with that. And it, it seems like this is a show, a show that is aware of these, these elements in its cast and in its, its expanded universe and is making the right decisions. So I have, I have, uh, I have a lot of interest for what's going to come next with that. And uh, I think that's a double drink right there. Um, as for <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, it is one of the, the best new comedies um, 
of the season. There's a lot I really appreciate about it between its it's it's an ensemble cast and again I I'm a big fan of the way that Fox this past season uh, actively went for casts with that were larger and more diverse, not just uh, in ethnicity. But but in age, in uh, in, in physical body type, and in, in lots of different things. So I really appreciate that element to Enlisted and also to Brooklyn Nine Nine. And the show has improved over the course of the season. I really appreciated some of the moves it made in its finale, and I'm looking forward to checking back in with it. The other thing I'd add to this though the conversation is Cosmos, uh, Space Time Odyssey, which I very much appreciated. I'm it's I think it's wonderful that this is the kind of show that can be on a network television show in primetime and do well. That just kind of gives me hope for, for us as, as, a, as a TV-watching public. And I look forward to, to hopefully more of that in the future. I, I, I'm, I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Do you know, is there more Cosmos coming to us next year? Or is this a I'm limited sure. run? Yeah, I don't know what they've announced about that. And then, yeah, again, the only reason that I didn't mention it is I was thinking of this more as, like, scripted stuff. But, uh, yeah, like, that's been a good addition to... The, the season into the network so uh so so far we've had cbs and fox and uh fox wins oh fox wins outright without a doubt even though like four of those canceled shows i thought deserved more episodes or at least better care while they were on the air um this is still a very good season for for uh riley to go out on i think so he should be at least happy about that well, and the thing I always say about Fox, it's easy, you know, Fox has been a punching bag for a long time for people like myself uh, due to its cancellation, uh, especially in the in the aughts of many, many promising, interesting, unique shows, shows that were, there was nothing else like them on TV. But here's the thing. In order to be canceled, a show has to get made in the first place. And so while I am utterly disappointed that we are not getting more enlisted there isn't another network that made a show like enlisted this season and i i i relate enlisted in certain ways very much to ben and kate which is a show i loved last year that also got canceled but again there isn't another network even giving me one season of a show like ben and kate of a show like enlisted of of some of, of a show like sleepy hollow sleepy hollow i'm gonna get a second season but that show wouldn't have been tried anywhere else so while it sucks when shows we appreciate and we respect and we think are great don't get renewed, that that's one thing I have to give Fox credit for. They have a history of at least trying these shows. Should they take better care of them while they're on? You could make that argument, and I probably would agree with you. But at least they're making them in the first place, and I'm hopeful that that I'm I'm hoping that we'll get more of that. You know, as Fox continues, that is something that that Riley has done. He's kept shows on longer than really I I can't imagine that they earned. Like Fringe, how did Fringe get five seasons? I'm so happy it did, but but how? And there's there's several other shows like that that any other network would not have given a second season to, or even greenlit in the first place. So hopefully, whoever succeeds him at Fox will continue that tradition. That sounds good. So what network is up next on the docket? Uh, next up will be ABC, which I think premiered not the second most uh, new shows. I think NBC had 14 new ones. ABC had 13. So we'll we'll talk about ABC next week. And again, thank you guys for letting us 
giving us some of your feedback about Fox this week. I, we look forward to hearing what you think about ABC shows uh, next week. So uh, next we will take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. This week in genre and drama, we're going to talk a little bit of Game of Thrones, The Watchers on the Wall, a little Make Sean Watch Black Mirror, and then Fargo, The Heap, Orphan Black, Variable and Full of Perturbation, In the Flesh, Episode 5 of Season 2, and then Penny Dreadful's Closer Than Sisters. So let's kick things off with a little Game of Thrones. Of course, the Sound of State Game of Thrones podcast uh, should already be... Uh, of course, the Sound of State Game of Thrones podcast should be going up in your feed soon. We had to record a day late because I because I have been out of town this week. But uh, you know, for recording a day late, it's getting to you a day late. But you know, we do have Mo Ryan joining us, so that's kind of a big deal. That'll be a lot oh. of fun. Yeah, so you can look out for that. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of uh, plead the fifth here a little bit on this one because uh, you know I've already talked for an hour about that on the other podcast. What did you think of this episode, and how does it relate for you to the other episode nines of Game of Thrones? Yeah, so I think, uh, okay, there's a few things. The critical reaction to this, and I don't know if this is me just kind of being like contrary by nature, but there were like things that I disagreed about, and I kind of sided with the viewership on this, uh, and the viewership being like people who really thought that this was a, just a wonderful, fun, and exciting visual spectacle, and that that is enough. And then that's the key part there. Like, a lot of the comparisons drawn between Blackwater were highly appropriate because, like, this is clearly that kind of episode, um, even more so than the other two episode nines. Like, this one and Blackwater focused entirely on one subset of characters, whereas, like, in, in Reigns of Casimir, for, for instance, there were other storylines going on. But well, I guess what I realized was, and I might get flack for this, I don't necessarily think the Game of Thrones is, like, one of the best character-driven shows on television. And that might sound like blasphemy, but, like, because I view it in that way, because it's not on the same level as even something like In the Flesh, which we'll talk about later, uh, or in just a moment, um, that, that creates, like, expectations for me. And those expectations are significantly lower, I think, than some people who are really hoping for, like, more meaty character-driven stuff in this episode. And so the fact that we didn't get things equivalent to, you know, Drunk Cersei or the, you know, the, the Hound and Bronze tassel before Blackwater, like, that didn't really bother me because I still got enough. So, like, Eamon's talk with Sam down in the library I thought was fantastic, and it had just enough of that sprinkled throughout that, like, just it being an action episode after that perfectly fine because you know that's how like third acts function in a film and this 
kind of is the third act of the season, and I need that kind of just base action payoff as kind of relief, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes sense. Uh, I, I do think the, like you said, the comparison, it is a very direct comparison to something like Blackwater. And then that, of course, makes you think about how Baylor uh, ties in with the Reigns of Castamere as maybe uh, parallels there as well. But for this specific episode, I do, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of all of the various criticisms I've seen lobbed at this episode. I, you know, before reading some of the reviews, it did sort of make me go back and rethink about some some elements of the episode. And of course, we get into this much more on the Game of Thrones podcast. I did have some some nitpicks, I guess, with the episode, and there were a few moments that yeah that I think the show is better than, frankly. But in, on the whole, I did enjoy the episode, and I thought it was very well handled. And, and and I guess I'm more on the positive end of the spectrum, though I have a hard time arguing with some of the the complaints as well. So I absolutely oh, no. yeah. see where people are coming from with some of those, even if I di- if they didn't really bother me in the same way. I completely agree with that. That it comes down to what you, as a particular viewer, are expecting. The the one other thing that I will say was a really interesting experience for me um okay i'm gonna try and like talk around this so that it's not a spoiler like i was expecting this to not end at the point that it does end and the thing that i was waiting for the fact that it didn't happen like i was like well wait a second yada 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 and then as i was reading comments like and, and if this is a spoiler you can edit it out somebody had said that well if that was depicted in this episode it kind of like takes away some of the heroic things that happen here and as i thought about that i realized i 100 percent agree with that so even though like my initial response was kind of defensive about that i actually think that this worked really well as a singular unit there's there is more coming as you well know yeah and i look forward to seeing how exactly how much of what could happen next week does happen or if they push it off for next season and if they push it off for next season i'm going to be annoyed but that's all i'll say because we're avoiding spoilers here let's move on to our next show which is make sean watch black mirror now did you watch the entire thing i watched the first series so the first three episodes okay and uh kind of blown away and those episodes got progressively better for me and probably my favorite of the three was the one coincidentally that Charlie Brooker did not pen and that was the the redo chip one and to just to remind listeners this season was the one that featured that episode the the talent competition one and then the prime minister and the pig was the first one and yeah all three wonderfully unique in their own different ways and actually really really difficult to stomach because of how deep it cuts yeah they were powerful i i, I had some uh, issues with a couple of them and I, I, I certainly I should say it's not so much that it's that I didn't enjoy them as much as other people seem to have I wasn't as blown away as everybody else but I did enjoy them I do think that Black Mirror is an interesting show and I'm glad it's one that's out there certainly I think if, you, if you're interested in the closest thing we've had to the Twilight Zone in a while in quite a while then, then check out Black Mirror. There's only three episodes a season. There's only two seasons. You can get caught up pretty easily. And it does raise questions in, 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 in an effective and interesting an interesting way. So I guess I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably 
I, I totally understand your reaction to it. Like, I don't, I'm not impressed with it in terms of it being like a really amazing television series. I'm more just really intrigued and uh, by the questions that it's asking, and then, then like to what extent that made me think about them afterwards. Like, I wasn't able to watch these episodes consecutively. Like, each one brought up questions that I kind of needed to ponder about, and specifically that last one regarding um, the usefulness of memories and how the the fabricated situation that they have there, how that could, like, really just tear apart people in terms of over-analysis. Mm-hmm. Listeners who are curious can, can go back and check out uh, when... Uh, Simon and I discussed this episode, and y- yes, that is that is true. But I, I had a lot of problems with that one, with that episode. It's the one that everybody points to as the best episode, and it's the one that I had the most problems with. But I do think I agree actually with everything you're saying. So it's it's kind of a tricky one for me. Any other thoughts on Black Mirror? Are you going to watch season two? Uh, I will. We might not talk about it on the podcast, but with all of these, and I'll be doing the first season of Love Hate next next week. Um, I'll follow through on them definitely well let's move on to fargo and the heap which was a very again a very buzzed about episode of tv this week uh, i was not surprised or uh i guess taken aback by their one year later jump uh what did you think of that let's start out right there yeah if that's the thing that's making people excited about this one then i i guess i don't understand it because that was interesting that they decided to do this uh, this late in the season, but to me it just feels like a natural continuation of the story, and there wasn't anything particularly monumental in this episode. Not that there needs to be, and not that Fargo has done that. It's really just been um, Bridian's ass that was like that kind of episode, but you know, this is another good episode of Fargo. There was a great moment for uh, Martin Freeman when he is um, visited by Hess's widow and the, the kids at his workplace. Um, you know, some good character stuff here and there, but but nothing like amazing. I did really like the camera motion when they did the swirling camera as Lester was staring at the washing machine. I thought that was a particularly nice touch. And I mean, it just, I think it just makes sense. Our lead character got you know she lost her spleen. It makes sense to jump forward and skip that recovery. Mm-hmm. But I, yes, this, the way that it ends is, is particularly intriguing, and there's a lot of ground to cover. You can start to see the way that it's going to come together in these next few episodes to, to conclude the season, and that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, especially if Key and Peele are a bigger part of that. It's just watching them talk or watching one of them ponder about... Uh, uh, removing files from the, the file room and all of that, that really works. Yeah, they're always great together. And I'm looking forward to the I'm, – I'm assuming they're going to be talking to Molly soon. When, when she called in and they said that they would tag the file and they're working in the file room, it's the only thing that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I, I would assume that will be coming soon, and I look forward to those interactions. Uh, let's get to Orphan Black because we met a new clone, and it's Tony. It is Tony, which I – I'm initially resistant to, I guess that's my response. Okay. But then I think that that was also my response with Rachel, and they've obviously done better things with her in recent episodes. So the intriguing parts about it obviously have to do with how Tony interacts with Felix, 
and what all of that means, even like on the meta level, because we saw Tatiana Maslany and, and and Jordan Kuberis kiss for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. Which was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the right kind of weird. It was appropriately yeah. weird because Tony doesn't know exactly what's going on in that moment, but Felix is like, you're kind of my like my sister. You're super similar, but you're a guy. But, yeah. So I think there's... I, I like that the show kind of puts the audience in very much in Felix's shoes in that moment without... Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure quite how I feel about all of that, but I really appreciated the introduction of Tony. I think it's great to have a trans clone amongst the group. I really appreciate the treatment of the character and the both by Felix and Art and, and Sarah and just the way that that character was handled. I very much appreciated. I know some people are leery of the this idea they're they're concerned that the show is saying or will say that being trans is a nurture element rather than a nature element because these characters are clones however for me there's enough differences between the clones genetically based differences so we have for even just Cosima wears glasses and nobody else does she has worse eyesight than, than the other people do people have gotten some various clones get sick at different times obviously Sarah got pregnant there are very there are some genetic differences between the different clones so i don't think that having uh having having tony be a trans clone is is the show saying that tony chose to be a man in a woman's body i, I don't think that they're saying that and so i can see i absolutely understand people being leery or nervous about that and i, I would look forward to seeing if they bring Tony back, it is rather pat that he just takes off at the end, you know, for the sunset. Um, but I'm hoping that we will see the character again. Yeah, no, and I completely agree with everything that you just said. I think my natural resistance there was just Orphan Black has a ton of stuff on the table. And so we got a very full episode that didn't even feature Cal or Michelle Forbes or Paul or, or Helena. Yeah, exactly. Or any of that group you know so there's introducing another thing i guess it's just another ball that they have to juggle which makes me somewhat nervous because there are some that they don't do very well with a lot of the times that's true uh, i do like that they keep bringing back beth and maggie chen though and this week they bring back beth and they tie her in and tony in very specifically with paul in a way that i i'm actually i'm surprised to be excited about because paul was not my favorite bit my favorite part of season one, and I've you know I've liked the usage of him here because I, I think the characters worked far more successfully when he's been sort of one-dimensional, when they haven't tried to really stretch the character. So whether or not that's going to change in our last couple of episodes, yeah, I don't know. But the fact that I'm interested in what Paul, how Paul has to do with these other characters is a success for the show. Paul is the most nuanced character in this series. <laughs> is Paul the least, or is that Vic? Uh, I have no idea. Actually, I'd say Vic has, has more characters to him. That's um, true, my, especially now. My heartwarming moment in this episode goes to Scott for saying, it's an honor to work with you, to Cosima. That, that won me over completely. It was wonderful. It was lovely. I also really like what they're doing with Allison and Donnie and what they do with them in this episode it's really it's so much more interesting than anything they've done with Donnie to this point uh including even last week so if they if they can actually make 
him a dimensional character and build up that relationship and make it just as interesting and supportive as really all the other different parts of the show, I will be very impressed. Yeah, that was the heart of this episode to me. Like to, to transition from him being a dunce to somebody who actually might be a useful or legitimate ally to Allison, like that's a great direction for that character. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Orphan Black or shall we move on to In the Flesh? Let's keep going. Okay, In the Flesh. I'm just calling it now Amy's the First Risen. Yeah, it's got to be, right? Totally. Like, we we thought it was Kieran definitely last week, but uh, here we go. No, it's, it's Amy because she's feeling the rain. How amazing was that scene? Yeah, it's... I don't know if I'm completely buying into the fact that Philip would have gone through with that, but it was still very, very well executed, and then that last part of it was beautiful. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think he, I think he would have. I thought I really bought the performance from the actor, um, but certainly, yeah, it's it's a very difficult situation and moment, and then to turn turn it like that is absolutely. Uh, it has me I, I'm dying to watch the next episode so next week will be the finale and really guys if you're if you're listening to this but you uh, aren't watching the show please watch the show like we say every week uh, <laughs> what about uh, Kieran in this we, he's back to covering up his mirror that made me so sad yeah well his his dad's being not just a bit of a dick but a massive dick so that's not good after all of the wonderful resolution that kind of happened in the first season so he's, he's not in a good place what what definitely stuck out was simon's backstory though and how well that that was handled i thought did you enjoy that did you think that that was useful to take up so much time this close to the finale to do yeah i think it made sense especially when they're centering it around his decision about kieran or because of who he thinks kieran is uh that that did work for me quite a bit, and, um, and I'm not I, I'm not interested in this whole twelve apostles of the or whatever. I really don't care about that part of the show. The, I really don't care about that. Um, I'm more interested in what's going on with everybody's favorite villain. I'm calling the other thing I'm calling is that she's trying to create the second rising because she wants a loved one to rise from the dead. Yeah, I think the conversation that she had with the person that she's staying with, was it a brother that she mentions or a sister? It was a sibling. I can't remember now, but I think that that might be it. Yeah. And I, I do think that's more interesting than what they've been doing. I think what they've been, what they have been doing has been working incredibly well. It's been very effective, but I, I'm more optimistic about that going in a nuanced direction, I guess. Yeah. And I'm perfectly fine with Maxine just being a, an evil antagonist. So if they do give her more of that stuff um i i'll give him the benefit of the doubt that they'll do it well so she's but she's been very good in the role that she's been playing yeah well speaking of role that she's been playing uh let's move on to penny dreadful closer than sisters i th i feel like penny dreadful is trying to get me to not like their show because really <laughs> this episode i want to like it and there's some stuff in here that's great but they have to use the freaking narrator the whole time. Oh my gosh. If they had just taken out all of their, I literally said to my television, show us, don't tell us because the, the way that they use that letter writing, they, they hold that, that voiceover way too long. I was completely disengaging. And if anybody who didn't see where this was all going, 
very early on, especially the way the what the fallout was going to be with Mina and Vanessa. It was super obvious. And when you add that element of the narration on top of it, it only makes it more labored. So I'm guessing you like this one more than I did. Um, uh, yeah, probably overall. That's interesting, though, that it's that device. Is it just the way that it's used here, or are you opposed to narration as a concept? Well, if, when it's used well, I love it. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Of, you know, some, something like, um, like, like Veronica Mars comes to mind, where it's part of the noir trope or the the noir packaging, and it it works really well. I think it can be incredibly effective. Or Arrested Development, and you know the three seasons of that that exist, um, used so <laughs> incredibly well there and hilarious. But but when you're just telling us stuff that you're also showing us on screen you're just destroying your ability to tell an interesting uh, narrative because yeah. you're just you're repeating yourself. No, you're right. There, I think I remember reading an article about narration not too long ago, like the best uses of it. And so like a movie like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that Robert Downey Jr. was in does it incredibly well. And yeah, in this case, it is not very useful exposition. And yet I think maybe the reason that it didn't stick out to me as much was because of the period setting. So I'm already kind of like in that mode as a viewer because this is Victorian set. Um, but you're right, that is that is a flaw. The other, the other flaw I have with this, because I do think some of what we get is very nice, the flashbacks. I like that if they're going to try to make us care about Mina this much, trying to make her an actual person is probably a good move as opposed to us just caring about her because really we don't care about her we care about the people who do care about her uh so that is that could, that could be fruitful we have vanessa go from having sex with the devil or something to completely reformed and it happens off screen yep <laughs> you are correct and if they'll address that or not is up in the air, I'm doubtful, but that's a big gap and a significant one in terms of how that character has gotten to where we know her in the present day. And they take baby steps, everything else in the episode, and then they just jump over the tiny detail. I mean, come on. <laughs> Once again, you're not, you're not wrong at all, so... I'm not going to fight you on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Any other thoughts on the episode? Uh, Ava Green, Ava Green, Ava Green. Like, she is an amazing performer. And every aspect of that, and, and one that I'll point to was during, actually, a narration scene where she's, uh, the present-day one is doing the narration, and we're looking at Vanessa looking at Mina before she's going to go off to, um, is she going to Africa? No, she's going somewhere else, right? Yeah, before she was going to go get married? Yeah, and she's kind of just contemplating, like, oh, she's having the adventurous life that I thought that I would. And just the look on Ava Green's face and kind of how it subtly changes, almost in, like, the minute detail of uh, of Mas Mikkelsen's Hannibal. Like, that that was just very, very impressive. And the young actress that they got for the, the younger Vanessa, Lily Davis, did a really good job of mimicking some of... Um, some of what Eva Green does in that role. Yeah, I did. I did like the young versions. I thought that was effective. I, even just like the makeup on Just Returned from Africa, Timothy Dalton. You know, there, there were some some nice touches in there. Even if on the whole, I was rather annoyed by the episode. Uh, so, Sean, what wins your week in genre and drama? Uh, 
Good God. Uh, not counting Black Mirror, because that's not a thing. I'll probably give it to Game of Thrones, actually. Okay, and... Hmm. I think I'll... Uh, taking Game of Thrones off to the side, because that's its own podcast for me, uh, I will give this one to Orphan Black for... Even though In the Flesh had a more stand-up moment for me, and I am really loving what it's doing, I really appreciate that that Orphan Black made this this decision. And the way that it is progressing towards its finale, I'm very interested. So uh, I, I'll give it to Orphan Black this week. I'm, I'm going to give it to In the Flesh next week, probably anyways, when they have their finale. But, uh, <laughs> you know, spread the wealth a little bit. Hey, Game of Thrones <laughs> having their finale as well. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, more on that next week but until then a few show notes you can find a post for this episode up at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought about the week's TV you can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at soundonsite TV you can also email us theteleverse at gmail.com and we do have an M4A chapter to feed and an MP3 unchapter feed up in iTunes we would very much appreciate any rating or review it does help other people find the show and uh, then on Twitter of course I'm at the Televerse and you are at Sean Coletti and Sean, what is our question of the week? We're going Game of Thrones. What's your favorite, not best, and define favorite however you want. What's your favorite ninth episode of Game of Thrones? Oh man, I, I you know, I think with more distance, I think I do ha have to give it to to Blackwater. Mm -hmm. I, I I really appreciate all of them, um, but if I'm looking at the whole episode. And not just the climax of the Red Wedding. I think I, I think I got to give it to, to Blackwater. You? I'd have to rewatch Baylor again because it's been a while. Um, but you know, just the the action in this last one I thought was so good. But it might be Blackwater. I'll I'll think about that and maybe just report back next Twitter, week Twitter or something yeah okay <laughs> sounds good well now we're going to take a quick break listen to a clip and some music and come back with Depayans and Gupta of Sound on Sight to talk about the good family look who's got elephant dung they were just giving it away at the circus the circus they exploit animals and hairy ladies but it is for an organic garden being good is so hard oh god it's my dad did he see us I got some grub from the Soul Shack. Man, those folks can make some colored greens. Dad, it's collared greens. Right, and it's collared people. Use your head, Helen. Oh, it stinks out here. I'm eating inside. My dad is insane and ignorant and offensive. Is it so hard for him to say African-American? Wait, is that what we're supposed to call them now? I heard someone swear that it's people of color now. Ugh, impossible. That's just colored people in reverse, and I know that's not right. Who decides these things? Oh, there's a big convention every year where all the minorities get together to hash these things out. Last year, they spent most of their time figuring out what to call Puff Daddy. He'd know the answer. Wait, you can't just ask him. Why not? The world is a pretty simple place if you're open and honest with people. Hi, Ray. Uh, we wanted to ask you a quick question. Do you... Want some squash? Homegrown, pesticide-free. You know I don't eat vegetables. And you folks don't eat meat. Meat's murder. 
Exactly, Ubuntu. You see, Ray, we don't eat meat or dairy, so we are called vegans. Even Che is vegan. A vegan dog. Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Sean Coletti. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are it's going to be a first at the DVD shelf. I'm very excited about this. Uh, we're talking The Good Family, which was an animated series from 2009. And here to join us uh, to talk about this show, once again, is Dipayan Sengupta. Dipayan, welcome back to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. And uh, this is a first. I don't want to really spoil why this is a first, for me at least, on the DVD shelf. I will get there in a second. But before I, I get into that, Defiant, of course, one of our wonderful contributors at uh, at Sound on Sight, it covers a bunch of shows for us and is wonderful. Um, Defiant, what made you want to talk about uh, the and really explore the Good Family? Well, over over the past few years, I've sort of kind of become a fan of Mike Judge's work. Uh, you know, there there is Office Space, which everyone. I, I think loves and uh, I'm quite a fan of idiocracy as well. Uh, I saw King of the Hill only in bits and pieces, but I quite enjoyed that as well. And mostly with Good Family, what happened when it was originally on the air is that I caught bits and pieces of it and I happened to catch a single episode throughout the run, which I subsequently found out was episode number seven. And it, to me, it, uh, to me, it seemed a lot funnier than how it had been advertised, which led me to catch up with the show. And as a whole, I think, it, it's a, it's a series that sort of slipped under under the radar, and I think it it deserves a little bit of recognition, even if it doesn't quite come along the all time greats of television or even really Mike Judge's career. Interesting. Okay, fair enough. And and this is one that I remember, like when I saw the poster, I remembered it coming out, but I hadn't seen it. I, I hadn't. Uh... Like, I had missed it. Like you said, it slipped under the radar. And now, of course, with Silicon Valley having such a fantastic first season, it was, it was, uh, I was excited to explore this, this other show that he had made that I had somehow missed. And then I watched a couple episodes. And uh, this is a first. And I'm glad, Define, you're the guest for this because you, I know you won't take this the wrong way. I fucking hated the show. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I'm disconnecting right now. I hated it so much. Well, I, then that's really strong because usually I'm extremely positive in DVD shelves. I didn't there. It didn't offend me. There are, you know, if you want to hear shows that I truly to the core of my being hated or thought were bad for this, for, for the television, then check out some of our previous spotlights of shame that we've done on the, on the televerse. But I just, this was not a pleasant experience for me. I disliked the show, the voice of the, uh, of the writers or what, at least what comes across pretty much all of the characters. I don't think I laughed more than maybe once in all the episodes I watched. And, and there were ones that were better and worse than others, but no, this was not a show for me. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> well, uh, you know, for for me, you know, re revisiting the show for this DVD shelf, the thing that struck me is that this feels very much like a rough draft of a show that would be a spiritual cousin to Bob's Burgers. Uh, where do you stand on that? Do you think the, the, the two shows could concurrently run together, given, you know, sort of like a dark alternate version, I guess, in your case? Well, I, I love Bob's Burgers. 
I should mention, by the way, that I am a big fan of King of the Hill as well, and uh, and much of Mike Judge Mike Judge's other work. the The trouble I have with the Good Family is that these don't feel like people to me. They feel like uh, they feel like vehicles for uh, the the writers to to mock a segment of the population. It doesn't feel like the writers actually care about any of these uh these people and it it doesn't feel like it is true to who they are the show and maybe this is a brilliant move by judge and i'm just not getting but it seems like this is a show that is centered around four characters that the show has no respect for or interest in and that is bizarre for me i i don't quite disagree but i don't no, if I quite 100% agree or not. I mean, the show definitely doesn't have as much respect for the four main characters as, you know, you'd normally see in the characters that a show is ostensibly centered around. But I think it has it has some level of respect for them. But I think the idea that the show was going for was that these people aren't, you know, these people are not quite people you want to stick around with, but they're still the most sane people in Greenville because everyone else around them is just that much crazier. Okay, I I look forward to getting into it further, but I got to hear from Sean. Sean, I'm guessing you didn't have as an extreme reaction as I did. Uh, what did you think about the Good Family? Um, no, not as extreme of a reaction. There are, I think, actually quite a few talking points here. You mentioned that it doesn't seem like the show has either a respect or an interest in these characters. Um, to kind of prepare for this discussion, I I read or glanced over quickly. Uh, kind of the differences between parody and satire. We can kind of go into those ideas later and see how they function and if they're successful in the show or not, um, because there's clearly like commentary on this type of person, and it's one that I'm relatively familiar with, not, not super familiar with, but enough, I think, to be able to comment on it. But yeah, I, I had much difficulty connecting with these characters, um, especially after something like King of the Hill, I didn't watch any of this while it was airing, so I've only seen all of this recently. Um, But there were a couple things that I I think worked. Some moments that actually did make me laugh. The (laughs) Unfortunately, it had to do with the not-human characters, so their vegan dog, who clearly despises being a vegan, that provided some really good sight gags. And also the cat that the grandpa adopts that um, remains a part of the cast in the background for a few episodes... That was really funny because that's just a really disgusting creature. Um, but yeah, there's there's nothing. The voice of the writing, I think, is where like you keyed it on the most important part because it doesn't. What I understood while reading about satire is that it's meant to satirize the content in a way that you're also trying to like say something better about the situation so it should like impart something onto the viewer or the reader and in the case of literature that there is a way to kind of use this parody and like turn it on its head so that you get something better out of it and i never feel like watching the good family that that's happening it's more like they're kind of just making fun of these characters well and i should say because i I can come off very strongly, especially when I'm negative about something. There were moments that I enjoyed. There were moments that felt uh, felt felt much more interested in these characters and, and respectful. So, so when we have uh, the mother Helen 
the towards the end of, of the episode where she's struggling to talk with her daughter about safe sex and about her options that I that felt more real and when we have the the dad uh, in, interacting at the, when he when he gets to run the the local radio station the public radio station and he's you know he's feeling uneasy about things there that is probably actually the episode that worked the best for me and uh and that i that i had the most fun with but so, the, so there were moments here and there but on the whole like you mentioned the dog this the dog isn't a vegan the dog is being starved and that's supposed to be funny and the characters don't seem to notice that their dog is skin and bones or or care it's just it's things like things like that just take me out of having any sort of connection with these characters and seeing them as anything other than complete fools. Yeah, I, I think that may have been part of the idea behind the characters themselves that they live in this kind of bubble and everyone else is in, in a way I got the feeling the way their neighbor Ray interacted with them was that everyone uh, more or less understood this about them and either didn't care enough to try to, educate them or was just exasperated enough that they just went along with it. Uh, especially this came, this came forward to me in the, in the episode uh, with the gardeners, which I believe was uh, episode four. Uh, yes. It was called Helen's back where, where they just through a, through a series of misunderstandings end up essentially uh, aping modern day plantation owners, which I think was pretty much the essence of the characters. They're, they're people who think they're doing good, but they live in such an insulated bubble that they never actually see the consequence of their own actions past the fact that they're just, you know, patting themselves on the back so much for doing good for the world. That's one of the other things that I would definitely want to talk about because it's it's a problem in terms of uh, connecting with the show for me because these characters can be extremely unlikable. The The relationship that Helen has with... Margot, who is another person from, from Greenville, is just despicable because they're trying to one-up each other in the worst ways possible. But the idea there that I find really interesting is exploring altruism, and specifically as a concept that, in theory, it should be something good with positive connotations, but then there's always like a selfish aspect to altruism that should probably be frowned upon or avoided um, and I think that's really at play here and is something that Mike Judge obviously knows and is drawing attention to, but how that works in execution isn't as good as it ought to be, I think. In terms of uh, the the contrasting uh, reasonings behind altruism was established best with when they established the different motivations Gerald and Helen had for, for doing things. Because I, I got the impression through the course of the 13 episodes was that Gerald is someone who's sort of grown up in a family and, and we never got to see Gerald's parents. So I'm not sure how much of this was born out and how much of this is me misinterpreting the show. But I, I got the feeling Gerald is someone who's grown up in this kind of bubble his whole life. And so when he does something like this, he generally thinks he's doing good and he's never really been exposed to harsher elements that have, you know, snapped him back to reality in a way. Whereas, whereas Helen is more, uh, you know, she's, she's come from a different kind of mindset as we saw with her father. And she's doing this more for a sense of, uh, you know, social status per se. But at the end of the day, they're both still aiming for the same goals. Uh, the show didn't really touch on this very effectively, but uh, when it did, I thought that was that was where the strengths of it really lay. Yeah, and I guess because you know, I do see those elements watching the show, but 
I think where it comes down, what it comes down to for me, and I didn't, I wasn't able to watch all of the episodes. I did see, you know, I did see a handful. I just saw a sampling of it. Um, but where, I guess where it comes down for me is the tone. Because every time she goes into, what is it, One One Earth? Mm-hmm. Which is basically, I think, a parody of Whole Foods. It's Whole Foods, yeah. Definitely Whole Foods. The entire show feels utterly condescending. Uh, to anybody and, and this is the thing i don't shop at whole foods i don't eat organic i i bacon is delicious so it's not like i'm i'm overly identifying with the criticism of the show i guess what it is is i feel like a show like portlandia takes that same like these same stock kind of characters and actually is funny and it, it takes that same critique of that approach and that bubble uh, that, that bubble that people can put around themselves or, or just not even realize that they have around themselves while also feeling like these are caricatures because it's a sketch kind of heightened characters, but characters nonetheless, most of the time, like anytime Helen is shopping in Whole Foods, she goes from being somebody who feels like, sorry, anytime Helen is shopping in One Earth, she goes from a character who feels like she does actually care about this stuff to a character obsessed with, perception that's true and i i think i think that may have been ultimately the failing of the show is that they didn't give us any actual relatable character to to, uh to segue into the show with because as as bad as helen and gerald and their kids are everyone else in the town is so much worse and you know i think i think the best example of this is when helen briefly goes into big save and you're right they do make fun of everyone in one earth but when she goes into big save they make fun of everyone there too so at, at this point, if if you were to if you were to traipse through the show, it would seem like there is no real good perspective. Like everyone is bad in every you know in different ways. And I guess that feels just that just feels facile to me. It's like, what is the if if you're it's easy to stand back and point and mock everyone, but then what do you stand for? What is your point of view at that point? Yeah, but at the same time, I, I thought those led to some. You know, pretty comedic moments for me. The the two high, the two uh, episodes that were the best for me was episode uh, six and seven, Freeganomics and Graffiti in Greenville. Especially the character, the Freegan character of Heinrich. Uh, I, I maybe I just have a juvenile sense of humor, but I I found it hilarious that this guy who was being touted as this symbol of uh, you know as this symbol of free living and just leaving a minor carbon footprint was basically just leeching off of everyone at every opportunity he got while still criticizing them, and likewise with the graffiti in Greenville where. Uh, you know, everyone tries to take this opportunity of graffiti, which is basically being done by a suburban housewife to point out how, uh, you know, the outsiders are expressing themselves via art and stuff. With those episodes for me really clicked. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, I, I can't really disagree with the idea that they were making fun of people without really offering a proper alternative or solution. Well, yeah, the Freakonomics one, like you said, is an example of showing how other characters in this world are or can be much worse than the people that we know in the good family. And I would agree about the graffiti in Greenville one because the ones that worked best for me, and that's not necessarily to say that they flat out worked, but the ones that I think I could latch on to a little bit better were instances like graffiti in Greenville or the second episode where Ubuntu joins the football team where the characters, the good family can be, people who they really aren't and so helen in the football one um gets to play off of like how she was brought up as a as a sports family member and gets 
to go crazy there. And obviously in, in the graffiti one, she's doing things that are very counterintuitive to a lot of her beliefs, um, even though she's trying to support her kids. So yeah, every time that they get to do something that's really, really out of character, it works a bit better. And and again, each of the episodes I've watched had a moment that worked better for me or that was more relatable, where the characters felt more real. In the in the pilot, for example, when they realize how creepy the purity uh, ball is, uh, and then, but then they're trying to avoid the camera. That's like, that's straight, that's classic farce. That's, I mean, you can identify with that and it's, it's pretty straightforward. And, and like I said earlier, uh, the, the other moments that, you know, I really enjoyed everything we got with, with the public radio station and, you know, oh, the, the affiliates like bow ties and they're watching you, not in an Orwellian way. I think that actually that character is probably the, the one I enjoyed the most. Of all the, you know, sort of kind of supporting terrible people around our leads, um, I don't know. I guess it just I couldn't get away from that sense of condescension to the main characters. If the show doesn't care about these main characters, why should I care about them? Yeah, well, I can't really argue with that. Um, I have to wonder if maybe the show, Kate, would have worked better for you if it would have been centered around Ray and his family, who seemed like the most normal people per se out of everyone in Greenville. Do you think it would have worked better if, if it was, if they still would have had the good family, but not focused on them? You know, I don't know because it comes down to, it comes down, comes down to the priorities of the, of the writing and uh, their, their interest in portraying again, I, I'm sorry, I'm a broken record, but in portraying their leads as, as people. And it was those more human relatable moments. I don't need, I, there are plenty of shows that I enjoy that feature horrible people or people you should hate or people uh, uh, that are annoying and obnoxious uh, or just, you know, you wouldn't actually want to spend time with that. that I don't need to like my, my main characters, but I guess I, I need the show to think they're interesting. So if it centers centered around Ray and, uh, and the show thought that, that, that its main characters, the people we were spending all this time with, were interesting and and worthy of of examination. Then I guess I probably, but I think they could have just tweaked their treatment of these main characters, and and it would have solved a lot of these problems for me as well. Yeah, maybe not even just tweaking the treatment of them, but just some kind of tweak. There must be a simple solution to make the writing come off less condescending and more. Um, I guess akin to social commentary or something that has substance to it, I suppose. And if, if Ray had been the center point and the good family was just, you know, it's a supporting cast members who were the crazy people living next door, that might have been a way to get there. But there, there is a version of this show where the good family is the central family and it still works somehow. Um, you probably mentioned the the voice acting because there's a couple notable people here, right? Well, the, yeah, it, it, these are these are voices that are actors you will you will recognize. Of course, uh, the big name for me is is Linda Cardellini uh, as a uh, Freaks and Geeks fan that she plays the daughter of Bliss. But we have uh, Mike Judge actually voices the dad, and and Nancy Wal Walzer or Nancy Carell uh, voices Helen, the wife. Uh, David Herman, who people will of course know from from Office Space, is the son. Like I said, Linda Cardellini is the daughter. 
uh, fabulous voice actor D. Bradley Baker is the dog, and then Brian Doyle Murray is is uh, Helen's father. And as soon as I heard that voice, I was like, oh, that's that's Brian Doyle Murray. It's a very rec- recognizable uh, voice. And, and then the other one for me, because I did watch so much SNL of of her era growing up, was uh, Julia Sweeney is the voice of Margot Jensen. So these are you know vo- actors that I am familiar with and whose other work I have enjoyed. Yeah, I, I think maybe ninety percent of why Margot worked was Julia Sweeney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the voice work she did that that's true and I mean even even among the writing staff is uh, you know Judge created the show but I saw Howard Kramer's name pop up a few times and you know that sort of explained to me how Judge entered into that into that sort of group of comedians I'm I'm rambling now um, <laughs> but but yeah there there are there are quite a few notable names I mean it's 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 worth noting that Nancy Carell herself is is starting uh, another show in the fall in on TBS Angie Tribeca. So this group hasn't really like disappeared. Well, and hopefully I'll I'll enjoy that one more. And and I you know what the thing with this one is, like Sean, like you said earlier, there's a version of the show that I think I like quite a lot. There's a lot of stuff that they hint at, but then don't explore that I think is would be really interesting and valid avenues of exploration. This is supposed to be a middle class family who has all these high minded ideals, but when you're looking at a price of a an organic apple compared to a regular apple and you're on a budget, how do you make all of this come together? There are there are interesting stories to tell here with the conflicts in these characters, but rather than explore them, I guess it's it's going for a different type of storytelling. Yeah, that was one aspect that I think that could have been expanded on a bit more. To have characters who are not upper middle class and who have like serious budgetary concerns, uh, and to have that be like a constant pressure, which it is in this show, at least in several episodes, um, but it, it doesn't like go anywhere with that other than using it as a source of conflict. Yeah, I I think that's a problem you can sketch out with the show as a whole. It it, it doesn't feel as serialized as it should. It you know it, it feels like a bunch of individual episodes just strung together into a thirteen episode season. Uh, there there's no real noticeable character development, and and this is the thing that bothered me the most is that th- there's no real noticeable character development. There's no real story progression from point A to point B over the course of the season. Uh, I, I think maybe if it would have been a little more tightly structured, it w- would have been. You know, it would have been a better regarded show if if just, if they just maybe had some consequences of of episode one seep over into episode two and so on and so on. And I do think again, I'm going to note that King of the Hill is a show I really enjoy that takes characters that could easily be huge caricatures, uh, stereotypes, and then makes them more interesting. And this, it, it's an inter- it's. It's fun to think of this as a counterpoint to to King of the Hill. This is exploring a family that is on one end of a spectrum, uh, and then Hank Hill and company are on the other end of a spectrum. And it's just, I guess, it's just a shame that these characters and this this show doesn't come together anywhere near as well or as quickly as as King of the Hill did. And of course, it only had one season; it didn't get a chance to to grow into something more. But yeah, and. I can't, like I said earlier, I hated this show, so I can't really blame ABC for, for not giving them more room to maybe grow. I think this is an interesting kind of counterpoint to King of the Hill, because I'm, the good family is one end of the spectrum, and, and Hank Hill and his family are complete opposite end of the spectrum, and I guess I just wish that 
this show had uh, the same approach to its characters, embracing the cliche, subverting the cliche at the same time, uh, you know, sometimes even just at once, that that King of the Hill does so well and so frequently. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and that this is probably of Judge's four series the weakest one, but again, it didn't really have that room to grow, which I don't know if Beavis and Butthead would be as, I don't want to say acclaimed, because a lot of people really hate it, but as recognized um, as it is now, if that had only been like 13 episodes and then had been done. Um, yeah, there are, there are people out there who really like this. I was on the, the boards and everything, and ABC cancels everything great, and this was just another example. But uh, yeah, this didn't work for me for those reasons that you've mentioned, Kate. And I think it's clearly been a it's been a heated and entertaining discussion, at least as far as I'm concerned. So thank you so much to Payan uh, for having me watch it because anything that anything that sparks that strong of a reaction is worth investigating, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on the Good Family? Uh, well, uh, I mean, overall, I did enjoy it. I. Uh... You know, I, I was going to say that there's no other show that quite tackles that subject, but then you did bring up Portlandia. And so I, I think overall we can say that every every concept that this show does bring up has been done somewhat better on other shows. There's Portlandia, there's Boss Burgers. And uh, so I, uh, you know, I, I have to wonder if this show, if it was given more time to mature, if it would have ended up maybe as a clone of something else that was already on the air now. Uh, but overall, I, I, I did enjoy it a fair amount. Uh I, I don't think it was as good as it could have been, and and the lack of serialization did bother me. But um, I mean, overall, I did have fun with it, especially a few, especially a few uh, episodes. Outside of episode six and seven, the one I did enjoy was the one where uh, they basically parodied the the mafia boss meetings with uh, Gerald handing out his uh, vegan stew, and I thought I thought that was a nice little riff on the idea of the gentle mob boss who turns fierce in a second, and they're all waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, the the chili cook-off had a couple of moments that I that I enjoyed. Uh, being around uh, a dog rather frequently that is completely food-based uh, in his motivations, there's an element with the chase stuff in that episode that I could identify with that I thought was fun. Um, yeah, there there's there's stuff to like here. I just for me it's outweighed by other things and and certainly because this is a Mike Judge show it is very uh you know when you compare those four shows you have Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill and The Good Family and now Silicon Valley these are in some way these are very different shows you know, with you know they have s- certain similarities with uh, sort of the hangout approach and and all of that but it's a it's an interesting progression to say the least yeah yeah, and I, I think I think maybe it's a testament to Judge's talent that even in a show, uh, you know, even in a show that is, uh, you know, as, as declared by both of you and possibly our degree as well, really, that it, it's the weakest of his output. There's still stuff to like. So I think that's a, that's a testament to how good Judge is at, at creating shows. Yeah, and I certainly have, am very glad that uh, Silicon Valley has done as well as it has. And I, I, I do, whenever Mike Judge's name comes up in association with something, I, I kind of perk up and I pay attention. So... It's it's an interest for me. It's an interesting failure, but it's interesting, interesting nonetheless. Well, Depayan, thank you again so much for coming on and uh, and making me watch The Good Family. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. I think if you, if you ever invite me on again, I promise to get a show that you won't hate as much. 
Actually, I make no guarantees. Yeah, don't 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 make any promises there. But we'll definitely, of course, have you back on. And uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter under the handle Dean Ipe, and you can find me on Sound On Site. Uh, currently, I am reviewing the shows Believe, Veep, and Awkward, and I also have reviews over the past season of Supernatural uh, and Vampire Diaries. Thank you again to Pyan for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs>